0: It is uh, certainly good to see everyone here today, uh, whether you're worshiping online with us or you're worshiping here in person. If you're worshiping in, online, if you could just do me a quick favor and uh, as a way of greeting the people around you in the chat box on YouTube, if you could just write, hey, what's, your, what's been the best thing? One word. What's the best thing about this week? What has been the best thing about this week? You just say one word. You could say pizza, you can say uh, husband, you can say church, whatever it is, but just write that in your text, in your chat box. For those of you who are here with us in person, can you just look to someone and say, God is good? Can you just say that out loud? Can we say that so the people online can hear us? Say, God is good. All right, and you can respond to someone saying all the time. All right, kind of weak sauce today. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's the masks that are muffling the sound, but I heard from a couple of our sisters here. All right. Well, welcome in. Thank you for being the church and bringing it into this room. Uh, this has been, uh, one. Of, someone said last night, five months in this pandemic. Is that correct? I don't remember when it started. You know, the, the days of the week and the months of the year have all blended together. This is still March to me, um, but uh, it's been about five months, four months. I don't know how long it's been, but... I was joking that last week was the, was the best week so far of this pandemic because it marked the return of live professional sports to our world. Woohoo! Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> good. You guys don't get excited about saying God is good, but you clap for live sports. Praise the Lord, uh, the creator of these things. So uh, baseball came back, Major League Baseball, and it was really exciting for me as a fan of baseball. Uh, baseball in general, as a fan of the Orioles, it's not been that exciting, but it's a, it's a good thing that uh, we don't have to watch sports from like the 80s and 90s and 2000s um, on repeat endlessly, but we get to watch live baseball. One of the things I noticed very quickly, though, was that the baseball that I knew, even up until last year, um, is, a, is a different sport than what we're seeing now some of the rules have changed. It used to be that pitchers used to hit, but no longer are they able to hit. Uh, the, The rules of overtime, when you go to extra innings, the rules have changed. There are certain things that have forever defined baseball as a spectator or as a player that are no longer part of the game of baseball anymore. For example, there are no fans. You cannot allow fans to come to baseball games anymore. And so uh, some stadiums pipe in uh, stadium like crowd noise so when something good happens, they play in the loudspeaker, yeah, you know, good job. They play things like that. But there are no people watching the games. Like no one pays, gets a ticket and walks in. Some stadiums, and a lot of stadiums for that matter, have cardboard cutouts of people and put them in the stands so it looks like they're fans watching. Especially when you're watching game on TV, it looks kind of weird to see an empty stadium. So they've got cardboard cutouts of people who are wearing the uh, team shirts of the home team there. There are different celebrities. Uh, Mary Hart was in there, some Prince was there, Uh, Chewbacca was in there, but there are a bunch of different people in the stands watching the games as cardboard cutouts because people can't come and watch games during this pandemic. Pandemic: large crowds of people are not allowed to gather, but also certain things that players do are no longer allowed to be done. Things like uh, spitting on the field. I, I I learned how to spit by playing little league baseball. That's what you do in between pitches. You kick the dirt around the base if you're in the field or in the grass, and then you spit. You spit multiple times. This is where you learn how to. But players don't aren't allowed to spit anymore. I thought to myself, what are these players gonna do in between pitches now? They can no longer chew sunflower seeds and spit them out onto the ground into the dugout. That's what what players do when they're watching the game. They just chew sunflower seeds. I don't know why, I don't know who decided that, but that's what they would do, but no longer are players able to spit sunflower seeds. Players and managers are no longer allowed to argue with the umpire about a call, whether it was a ball a ball or a strike or he was safe or he was out, uh, no longer able to argue. So much of the game is different, and yet so much of it is the same. I don't know how long this is going to be. This is how baseball is going to be, but if if it goes on for a year, if it goes on for two years, if it goes on for 10 or 15 years, I don't think it will, but 15 years later, if it's still happening like this, people are going to watch videos from 2019 and before the pandemic and they're going to watch baseball and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, why are they spitting on the ground? That's terrible. And what are the things that they're spitting out of their mouth? And why are these people arguing with the umpires? When did all of this change? And we living in this moment in history will be able to say in the year 2020, everything changed. Everything changed. in the Some people were saying there will no longer be high fives given out in the history of our world. Somebody said that. I don't think that's the truth, but when did all of these things happen? In the year 2020, a line was drawn in the sand. And we said things would never be the same again in light of what's going on right now in this moment in human history. Obviously, baseball is a simple and a silly illustration of that, but there are seismic level shifts, massive stones that are being moved in our culture, in our nation, in our world, in our civilization. After this year, things will not be the same again. There are crises, there are upheavals, there are changes going on, and if you are keen to see it, you'll understand that these are the times in which God often raises up new leaders to move into the vacuum to lead in different spheres of society and of influence. No one had heard outside of the NIH or outside of the medical fields, no one had heard of Dr. Anthony Fauci until the coronavirus became a thing. Now everybody knows his name. Some people love him, some people hate him, but it's in times of crisis and upheaval that God raises up leaders. John Steinbeck said, boys become men when men are needed. And it's during times like this that new leaders are not only needed, but new leaders are raised up. I want to look today at a passage in Scripture that... I don't know if you can call it similar to a pandemic, but it was a massive shift that was happening. And throughout the history of God's people, there were these series of of watershed moments, different shifts in the momentum, different shifts in the narrative where things change constantly, where the people would never be the same again. We're going to look at the end of Deuteronomy and look at the beginning of Joshua. And what we're going to see is in the history of Israel, this is a pivotal moment where in the midst of crisis, in the midst of upheaval, in the midst of mass, change that is opening up, there is a need for leaders to rise up. And through this, we're going to see what God is saying to one leader in particular and what He's saying to many leaders in general here in our day today. You remember the people of God for 400 years. So if you can imagine your ancestors, your forefathers, for the last 400 years, your people have been enslaved. So Americans have been enslaved for 400 years to some dominant superpower called Egypt in the day. Last night, our youth sang a song talking about Egypt, and our praise leader, Kobe, was explaining how Egypt meant slavery. That's the pre-salvation days. The people of God were in Egypt for 400 years, working and slaving under the heavy hand of the taskmaster Pharaoh. And after 400 years, God said, "He's enough, is enough. I've heard the cries of my people. They've reached the heavens. And he raised up Moses to go and deliver the people with 10 different plagues on Egypt and the last one releasing the people of God. The, The problem is there was now a Red Sea that was raging, and there was an Egyptian army that was raging with anger behind them. And God opened up the seas and led them through dry land, closed up the seas after the last of the Israelites had had crossed through and swallowed up the Egyptians. They've wandered through the wilderness after receiving the Ten Commandments. For 40 years, a simple couple-week journey has turned into a 40-year journey wandering in the wilderness, what I, uh, the way I, I kind of imagined it was a sixth grader at their first time going to our synod retreat, wandering around trying to find it to the worship room. That was the Israelites, but it was happening for 40 years trying to find it to the promised land. Where we pick up now, they've gotten to the edge of the promised land. They can see the land of the promise. They can smell the milk and the honey that was promised to them. They're on the edge of it And in the midst of all of these changes that have happened within the nation, within the people of God during those years, all of a sudden we're introduced to a massive crisis. And this is what we see at the end of Deuteronomy. We're going to read Deuteronomy 34, starting in verse 5, and then we're going to keep on going through the end of that book into Joshua 1 until we read uh, Joshua 1, verse 9. Deuteronomy four five. this is the Word of God for the people of God. And Moses, remember the leader of Israel, the miracle worker, the one through whom God had showed His mighty hand and outstretched arm, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 when he died, yet his eyes weren't weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for how long? For 30 days. Right? For those who feel like it's not appropriate to mourn or show emotion or to be sad, for 30 days, God's people are mourning. This is emotional health. Until the time of weeping and mourning was over, now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him, to Joshua, and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials, and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you... Be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go." This is God's Word. What is God saying to these people in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this major moment in time, this major milestone after which everything would be different, nothing would be the same after this series of events? Uh, the the sla- enslavement, the exodus, the wilderness wandering, the crossing of the uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, wilderness wandering, and here on the edge of the Promised Land. What is God saying to Joshua? And through His timeless word, what is He saying uh, to Stephen Cho? What is He saying to Havin What is He saying uh, to John On? What is He saying to each of us today as we gather this morning? Here's what God. I think there's a great many things, but we'll just kind of narrow it down to three. The first thing that God is saying to Joshua, the first thing he's saying to you and to me is don't ignore the crisis, but don't ignore the opportunity either. There's a massive crisis, obviously, and we're talking pandemic, but there's a deeper crisis. Okay? There's a crisis, and what God is saying to Joshua is don't ignore it. They're on the edge of the promise and about to enter into the land that had been promised to them hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. Has God given you a promise? Last week, a bunch of people came up and they shared a Bible promise that has been anchoring them during this season. These guys had waited hundreds of years for the fulfillment of that promise, hundreds of years. Sometimes the promises that God gives to us will not be, many times they won't be seen right away. God had given Abraham a promise, I'm going to give you a land, and through your people, every nation on earth will be blessed. So here they are about to seize that land after hundreds of years, and they're waiting for it, they're waiting for it, they're waiting for it. That's the opportunity, but God introduces a crisis here. It says, well, chapter 1 of Joshua, verse 2, in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. I don't believe that there could be a more obvious statement to anybody hearing than this. You have just mourned for 30 days for the death of Moses. He has been with you for all these years. He led you through the wilderness. He brought you to this point until his death in Moab. Joshua, I just wanted to let you know that Moses, my servant, is dead. Why? I think in one sense it's because God doesn't want Joshua to overstep this or to jump over this or to forget this reality. Everybody knew that Moses was dead. He was the biggest the death of Moses was the biggest thing. It, it, it was bigger than Princess Diana. It's bigger than Kobe Bryant. It's bigger than Uh, Michael Jackson passing away. This This is huge news. Everybody knew. Everybody knew, even if you weren't paying attention to anything, everyone knew that Moses was dead. But God is saying, Joshua, I want you to get this. Who is Moses? Who is Moses? My servant. He is, well, look at what it says at the end of of, of Deuteronomy, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. The Lord knew face to face, did all these miraculous signs and wonders to Pharaoh, to all these people. No one showed his mighty power. No one performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of it. Moses was the man. Moses was the leader of leaders. He was the hero of heroes. At one point in time, in addition to all the things that he did, the things that were not spoken of in this passage, there was a time where, when the Israelites had made a golden calf and they were worshiping it. God said, Moses, get, get out the way. I'm going to kill these people. And Moses stood in the gap and he said, God, I, would, I, would, I don't want you to do that. In fact, I would rather you spare them even if it means you smite me. Even if it means you kill me for the sake of my people, I will stand in the gap on their behalf. Moses, that servant, is dead. In other words, there is a massive void. There is a massive vacuum in the leadership role in Israel. Do you see it? Joshua, because a lot of people know that Moses is dead, but not a lot of people are willing to embrace that reality, would overlook that reality because it's easy for us to ignore a crisis. There's a crisis that is of monumental import within our land right now. I said it last week, but over 30% of Christians are no longer going to church. Online church. I'm not even talking about coming back in person. But 30 percent of people said I stopped going to church in the midst of this pandemic. In the midst of this shaking out, Jesus said himself, "The love of many Christians will grow cold." There is a massive void, and it's not just that. If you would see it, if you would, if you would be attuned to it, and earlier this week. I, I, <laughs> This was not what I was going to preach on, on come Wednesday it came Wednesday morning. I, I had a series that I was going to begin, but on Wednesday, as I was thinking about this and I was praying about it and trying to see what the Lord is doing and, and how I should go with this new sermon series on the book of Proverbs, I felt the Lord was just speaking these things into my heart. Last week, if you are familiar with the landscape of Christianity in North America and even in the world You would have seen, or if you've seen it trending, you got Christians who are friends of yours on Facebook or social media. You would hear that a theologian by the name of James Packer, J.I. Packer, went home to be with the Lord. J.I. Packer was probably the greatest modern, one of the greatest modern theologians of our time. He wrote a book called Knowing God, which would probably be a great quarantine read for you. J.I. Packer was called home to be with the Lord last week. A few weeks ago, it was a man named Ravi Zacharias, who's an Indian man who was saved rather uh, out, out of his, his sin and became probably the greatest Christian defender of the faith. You can YouTube his videos and you're it's just amazing. The kind of insight the Lord God gave to him, the ability to fight for the faith, to deconstruct an anti-faith worldview, anti-biblical worldview, and then to rebuild the case for why Christianity is the, is the way, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It was called home to be with the Lord. Recently, two years ago in 2018, Billy Graham, who's the greatest evangelist and the greatest preacher of our generation, was called home to be with the Lord. Countless people, if you go back even five years, Elizabeth Elliot, one of the, the foremost authors and missionary stateswomen of, uh, of, of our generation, whose husband, Jim Elliot, was one who was speared and killed in his early 20s down in in Ecuador, not too far from where we do missions work in Ecuador. Her um, writings about passion and purity and her work about missions and just her giving of her life for the sake of the mission field. One of the greatest missionaries that our day and our generation, our time has ever known. All of these people are being called home to be with the Lord. Tim Keller, probably the greatest preacher, my first preaching professor, my inspiration on earth has been afflicted with pancreatic cancer, which is usually a, a one year within a year, 18 months, if you can make it that long. I was pleading with him as I was praying this week, pleading with God that he would extend the life of this man because we, need, we cannot see the loss of countless here. There's a crisis In evangelical and in modern gospel-driven Christianity in these days, there's a crisis and God is saying to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he's saying to us, these people, my servants, are being called home. And the question is, do you see the crisis? Because if you see the crisis, then you will also realize that in every crisis, there's an opportunity. Not only on a global scale, but there are people whose names the world outside of these circles will never know. There was a lady named Yudong Kim who was a deaconess at a church in Illinois in January. She went home to be with the Lord. But so many Korean American churches, I, I cannot think of many who are impacting their areas and impacting their generation for Christ. I don't know many of them whose lives have not been impacted by the life and the ministry and the prayers of this saint. Every time I would see her, she's saying, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your church. As soon as she passed away, the que- as people were texting me and calling me, the things, uh, people within that church, the things that we're, everyone is asking is, who will rise up to replace her as the prayer warrior, the intercessory prayer? Warrior? It was her fasting and praying for 40 days that led to a, a massive sweeping of a revival in Washington, D.C. in the 80s and 90s. You've heard me talk about this time and time again, but when she went home to be with the Lord, the question that we wonder is, who will rise up and fill that massive vacuum of prayers that were rising up to the heavens. A few weeks ago, one of the greatest churchmen, laymen that any church could know, it's not just our church, but every pastor who visits us, who knows every church member, every person who comes and visits would talk about, would talk about James, yea, and the life of faith that he lived. In a matter of moments, In the matter of, and again, if you go back to about five years, one of the greatest missionaries that we've ever known, the greatest preacher evangelist of our day, the greatest apologist, the greatest theologian, the greatest prayer warriors that I've known, the greatest church lay people being called home. There is a massive crisis at the table of spiritual leadership in our day and in our generation. And the question is, Joshua, do you see it? The question is, Harvest, do you see it? The question is, people watching, worshiping online, do you see the crisis? Moses, my servant, is dead. But you are not. Moses is no longer with us but my promises will remain forever. People will rise and people will fall, but my promises will endure. The things, the people that I have used have risen up and have been called home, but the purposes of God remain forever. The question is, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the void, in the midst of the vacuum, do you see the opportunities? I believe that the Chinese word for crisis is the combination of two symbols. It's danger plus opportunity. The church throughout history has never wasted a crisis. When it was persecution, it's the early church. There's persecution; our people are dying. What's going to happen? We've got to go. We got to go. And through that, wherever they went, they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is what the church does. A plague is coming; people are dying. What do we do? We don't run from the crisis. We see the opportunity. When children are being burned and abandoned on the trash heaps, when they're being orphaned, what does the church do? We grab a hold of them. We love them. We adopt them. We do not waste, a crisis, because in it we see an opportunity. What God is saying to Joshua is, do you see the crisis? Because if you see it, you'll see an opportunity in the midst of it. What do you see when you look out at 2020 right now? Do you see a crisis alone, or do you see danger alone, or do you see there are opportunities for those who have eyes to see? God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Don't gloss over that and get to what you need to do tomorrow. Don't go over that and going back to the things that you think you need to take care of because, yeah, absolutely, we've got our own needs. But you have been called to a purpose that's far bigger, to a church and to a kingdom of God that is far bigger than just our momentary concerns. Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not only when things are going well, but in the midst of pandemic, the call is still the same. And here's the promise, and all these things that you worry about, what will I eat? What will I wear? How will I dress myself? All these things will be added to you as well. Do you see the crisis? Linger with it. Because in the midst of those voids, you will see there's an opportunity. I don't know if you see it. But if you do, the second thing that God says to you is the second thing He says to Joshua. The second thing that we need to hear is that you were made for this moment. Okay, you were made for this moment in time. You could have, man. You could have been born at any point in history. You could have been born in the 1900s. You could have been born in in, in 1950. You could be living in those times, but you're not. You're living in this moment. This is what we saw last week in Jeremiah 29. God says, I know the plans I have for you. I brought you here. And constantly, if you read Jeremiah 29, he says, I brought you here. I brought you here. I brought you here. I carried you here to Babylon. You are where you are right now in this moment in time because of God's eternal purposes for you and for this world right now. Why are you here? Why are you here? Some of you have just moved down here. There's a reason why you're here. Some of you have been given talents. Why? Why have you been given those talents for such a time as this? This is what God says to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. He doesn't say, okay, Moses, my servant, is dead. All of Israel, listen up. Get ready to go he says, Joshua, you get up you and all your people because I have called you into this position for such a time as this. what do you see as the crisis in our day? see it could be as it could be the size of okay in in, in my church okay in my church there's a need there's a crisis it's Our graduating seniors, as we have their senior banquet this Saturday, as I see them graduate and I see all the things that they did for our youth ministry, there's a need for people to rise into leadership. There's a reason why they invested into me. People prayed for me. People gave hope and gave dreams to me. It's for this moment in time. I was made for this moment. My youth ministry needs me right now. Is that what you see? Maybe you see that. Maybe others it's, man, you know what? Uh, there have been people who have been working so hard either on a playground or working so hard to feed homeless people or people working so hard in order to cut the grass and maintain. The, I don't know what you see. But you see, there's a need. These people are in need of an assistance. People are in need of help. Maybe God has given me those resources and skills and time and talents and treasures for this moment in time. You are made, whatever that reason is, you are made for this moment. If God wanted you to be made for a different time, he would have, he would have had you be born to a diff, in a different time. But you are made for this moment. All of your experiences, everything that you've been through in life has led you to this place in history. What do you see? Because right now, all you might see is this pandemic. All you might see is, man, I'm trying to find a job. All you might see is these animals that are crossing or these Pokemon to catch. That might be all you see, but God says, lift your eyes to a bigger opportunity because I've brought you here for this moment. What would you see if you lifted your eyes upwards? If you were to spend time with God, what would you see Where is the void at the head of the table for you to slide into that place and say, God, you have made me for this moment? I don't know if you remember a couple years ago during the uh, college basketball playoffs, the tournament, it was UCF, the heavy underdog, against Duke, the heavy favorites. Duke had this freshman phenom named Zion Williamson. Another guy named RJ, Bear. they had a, just all these guys. UCF had nobody in particular, but they had a, a seven foot six guy named Taco Fall. who's was not particularly that great at basketball, but he was seven feet six inches tall. That's like pretty good. They had Goliath on his team. It was Goliath against a, literally this little David and one tall guy on their team. And so everyone thought, well, UCF doesn't have a, a, a chance. If they can keep it within 20 points, that'll be a good game. But with 20 seconds left in the game, UCF was winning by three points, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, UCF could do it, especially every one of us here. We're like, oh, UCF, yeah, all of a sudden, like we hate UCF, everything is bad about UCF sports, but now all of a sudden we're like fans of UCF basketball, yes, they're playing against Duke, and up three with 20 seconds left, but Duke has the ball, they inbound the ball, give it to this guy Zion, he drives against Taco Fall, seven foot six against six foot seven, I don't know, six six, and the... Uh, smaller guy, Zion, makes the shot. He gets fouled. Taco fall, fifth foul, uh, so he gets out of the game. Uh, He has a chance to tie the game. He misses it, but they get their own rebound, and they win. Uh, They put in the basket, and Duke ends up winning, and everyone of us in Orlando started crying. Terrible, but uh, that was Zion. That was his, that was, and then he goes to the NBA uh, after they lose uh, the next game that they lose. At the press conference, like Zion, 18 years old, 18 years old, the eyes of a nation are on you in this one magic pressure filled moment. What was going through your mind at that time when you get the ball going up against seven foot six Taco Fall? And he went back, he said, Before the ball was inbounded during the huddle, our coach called timeout, Coach K, the greatest living coach probably the greatest college basketball coach in history. As the huddle was breaking, he called Zion over to him, and he said, as he knew the ball was going to him, he said to Zion, he looked at him and he said, you were made for this moment. You were made for this moment. And Zion Williamson said, then I knew. I knew. This is my one shining moment when Coach K says to me, I am made for this moment. It gave me all the confidence in the world. God says to Joshua, Joshua, you're made for this moment. Moses is dead, but it is for this moment in time that you have been raised up into this place. And God says to you today, you were made for this moment. You, child of God, were made for this moment. You are where you are in your place of work. You're where you are in your school for this moment. You're where you are in your family, in our nation's history, in our world's history. On this stage, you're here for this moment in time. It was... It was David being trained, and, and, and one of our sisters said this last said it was David being trained all those years as a shepherd, fighting against the bear, fighting against the lion, fighting against the predators, so that when he stood before the giant, he said, my God who delivered me from the hand of the bear and the lion, and the, these animals will surely deliver me from the clutches of this giant who defames the name of the living God. It was for that moment in time that God called him. It was Esther who went and and think about her story from a teenager living in a strange land under the tutelage of her uncle being taken forcibly from her home, a teenager trafficked into inhumane deeds, into the bedroom of an awful, bloodthirsty, evil king to rising up to be the only person in the world who could stand up to that king for the salvation of her people at the risk of her life. Everything in your life has led you to this one shining moment. You were made for this moment because God always has the long view in mind. Everything that you have been through has been preparing you for what you are doing now. Where do you see the crisis? Since this pandemic, Man, I have so much respect for those who are working in healthcare, for our nurses, for our doctors, for our surgeons, for whomever it is who are literally putting their life at risk in order to care for other people and they work tirelessly and they take off their mask at the end of the day with marks all over their faces. And there are some who do it for money, but there's some who do it out of a sense of calling that God saved my uncle when he had cancer and therefore I'm working with cancer patients, or God, uh, my my grandmother was called home when she was sick and therefore I'm working with elderly people. They're people who out of the love for what they do, they do this tirelessly. I have so many, so much props to give to our teachers who are in this midst of, of this chaotic situation and they're saying, for love of my students, I will go and I will do whatever I need to do because it's not money that has driven me to this. It's a calling and it's a purpose because I see the need. Where do you see the needs in our world? Don't waste the crisis. It's an opportunity. God has led you to this moment in time. This is your time. Last week was our first week as we regathered for worship in person. And on Saturday night, I was talking with, uh, with, with one of our harvesters, and they were saying, yeah, my roommate is not going to come to in-person worship tomorrow because uh, they just, he, he just really likes um, and finds it easier to focus on worship, worshiping online, just no distractions, easier in the comfort of his own chair to worship God. So I said, okay, that's fine. I understand that. But I was surprised then on Sunday morning when I saw... Uh, this person sitting in the midst of our congregation for Omega service. And after worship service, um, he had our disinfecting fogging machines, and he was going through and he was disinfecting. And I was doing some stuff outside, and I came inside uh, to, to get my bag and stuff. And I saw him disinfecting, and so I was walking around, and I was like, hey, kind of surprised that you came today. I didn't think you were going to come. And he said, yeah, um, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I came, and I, I, I'm going to come. I'm going to come uh, every week from, from now on. And I said, I thought that, because uh, your roommate said you worship better when you worship at home, like online. And he said, yeah, you know, maybe that's part of it, but, you know, even more so it's because it's comfortable. Like, it's comfortable for me to worship at, at home. And so I just said, you know, that's, that's cool. And then I said, but why, why why'd you end up coming today then? And he said, because I knew that our first Sunday back, A lot of people were kind of fearful of coming back. I knew a lot of people were not going to come back. And I knew that the team, the ministry team that cleans our church afterwards and disinfects and takes out the trash and all that stuff um, might be shorthanded. So I wanted to make sure that there were enough people to come and to clean our church. I may or may not have turned away and shed a tear, but I said thanks. Thanks for loving our church and loving God in that way. Because he saw there was a vacuum. He saw an opportunity. And he said, I can do this. I can do this for the sake of the God I love and the church that I call my own. Maybe that's the context in which you're thinking. Maybe it's in in, in broader levels. Man, there are missionaries. There are missionaries who've been called home to be with the Lord and there are opportunities to serve. Maybe there's God is showing you, man, in the midst of this pandemic, there's a need for the gospel to get out to the world. I want to go and I want to take it to people who need it. I want, to, I want to bring the hope of Christ. I want to do it. Maybe you're going to become a senior in high school or a junior in high school, and all of a sudden you feel this burning urgency. I need to take Christ to people. Maybe you're realizing that as you get to the other side of 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or however old you get or 15 that you realize, I don't know how much time I've got either in this life. I've got to bring the hope of Christ to those in need. Maybe there's an urgency, but you were made for this moment. You were made for this moment. Let's embrace it. Let's not squander This moment in time, second thing. Last thing that we see, don't ignore the crisis or the opportunity. You're made for this moment. But the last thing that we see is that you were made for so much more. You were made for so much more. You were made for so much more than just surviving COVID-19. You're made for so much more and just having the best possessions to become the envy of people on earth. You're made for so much more than having prestige and honor and a reputation amongst people in your circle of friends. You're made for so much more than making lots of money. You were made for so much more. What God says to Joshua, he, he, here's what he says. Joshua, if you rise into what you have been called for in this moment, here's what's going to happen. It says in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will be massive. It says at the end of verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. And courageous, and on and on and on it goes. W- what is he saying? He's saying, Joshua, you're made for this moment, and if you rise into this and you seize this moment, do you understand that your obedience to me is not only for your own sake, but when you obey me in this way, the lives of countless others will be blessed, and their lives in the land of promise will be so much more grand and glorious than the life they've left behind. You are made for so much more than thinking about your own safety. You're made for so much more than thinking about your own survival only. I'm not saying be reckless. I'm not saying take off your mask. I'm not saying go and... No, we have to... No, wear them. Be smart, okay? There's a civic duty and responsibility. We are more effective when we're healthy usually in, in general than when we're not. So don't, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. But we were made for so much more than that. In your courage, you rise up in courageous faith in this moment because anytime you understand that the status quo is not what you were made for, you were made for more than this. You see the status quo, you see what's wrong, and then you rise up to dream of a better day. But in order to do that, in order to realize that I was made for more, it means you got to come out of the place of comfort. More, by definition, means going beyond where you are right now. And that, for many of us, can be scary. That, for many of us, can be difficult. That, for many of us, can be uncomfortable. And so, I would much rather just ignore the crisis or let somebody else deal with that opportunity. I I want to be loving. I could do it, absolutely, but I'm going to let someone else do it so that they could receive the blessing of God. We say that as a way of justifying our comfort so that we could remain in the status quo. Joshua sees the opportunity of a lifetime. He sees on the edge of the promised land. That's the land that God has given to us. Guys, this is ours for the taking. But maybe in his more human moments, he starts thinking about, but you know what? I don't know how to do this. Two major obstacles that stood in the way of Joshua and what he was destined to do. There was a river called the Jordan River, which at that season in the year was at flood stage. Okay, sometimes when we go to Ecuador, we need to cross through rivers, and we cannot cross when it has rained too much in the, in the days or the weeks leading up to it. It's just too high. It's too risky. We can't do it, and so we cannot cross the river into the Kofan people of Sinangwe. We, can't, we can't, can't do it. The Jordan River in this time that they're trying to possess the land is at flood stage. God is saying, you're going to go and you're going to enter into this land. A mile long is that river. God says, you're going to do it. Do you think he was scared? Man, I'd be scared to death. I'd be like, dude, uh, somebody else want to do this? Somebody else want to be the leader? Because I I, I'm not about to lead all these people into drowning in the Jordan River. I, somebody else can do it. I don't want to take the fall for that. There's a river that doesn't stop that you need to cross to get into the promised land. And then once you, if somehow by the miracle of God you get through, which it would happen, by the miracle of God to take possession of the promised land, there's a fortified city called Jericho, and the people of the promised land are massive. They look like giants. Ten of the twelve people who went to check out and scope that land said, holy cow, these guys are huge. They make us look like little grasshoppers. Do you think Joshua was scared when God said, Moses, my servant, is dead? It's your turn now. Do you think Joshua was hoping and praying, I hope hope Moses doesn't die on us. (laughs) He's about 120 years old. He's lived a good life. He's still healthy, but I just hope he doesn't die on us now. Moses, your servant, is dead. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Do you think Joshua was scared? If Joshua wasn't scared... Then God would not have said three times in the span of three verses, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Joshua, have I not, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? You don't need courage if the thing that you're going to do doesn't make you afraid. But you need courage when there's fear. Joshua. You were made for so much more than this. My people were made for so much more than this. Don't shrink back into the status quo. Don't shrink back into your comforts. You were made for this moment and you were made for more. Will you rise and claim your inheritance, the promised inheritance that I gave to you and to your people? Because here's the thing about courage. Whenever you rise up in courage, courage is contagious and it inspires The courage of other people. The first person to come up to share a testimony, usually the hardest one. They lose a bet, so they need to come up. But when they come up, all of a sudden, courage begets courage. And people are like, you know what? He did it. She did it. I can do it too. I can do it. That's why Joshua says, that's why the apostle Paul says, in prison, my boldness, my courage inspired many of the brothers to be bold and courageous about their faith also. Because courage is contagious. And when you say, by the grace of God, I don't, everything within me wants to go back into my chair, wants to go back into my comforts, but God is the only thing saying, do it! God's the only one saying, do it! I'm gonna do it, and when you look up and you look behind, you see a trail of people saying, I too will rise up in courageous faith because you gave, because you believed, because you trusted because you knew that you were made for so much more. Jesus calls out to these fishermen on the Sea of Galilee who were pretty successful at what they did. He says to Peter, to James and John, to Andrew, he says, hey, leave your nets behind and come and follow me. And it says at once they left their, dropped their nets, left everything, and they followed Jesus. Why? Because under the table, Jesus gave them a card and said, you can retire early. No, that's not what he said because he held up a sign that the Bible doesn't record that says you will become rich and famous and you'll live a long life. No, that's not what it said. They left everything behind in order to follow Jesus because they knew that in laying down their lives, they would find it in this man, Jesus, because they knew that they were made for so much more that they were willing to lay down their lives at the end of it, at a spear, at a a, a beheading, whatever it might be for the sake of Jesus, because they knew, because they knew that their lives would count for so much more than what this world told them to live for. What's wrong with living for money? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with money? What's wrong with having all the stuff? What's wrong with having the best clothes? Nothing's wrong with it to the degree that you understand that that is not your master. And Jesus is not your servant. It's okay when you realize that Jesus is your master and these things are your servants. You're willing to let go at any point in time, but money is a servant in the service of the master. If God says, give me your money so that lives on the mission field could be changed, 50% of your income, would you give that to him? One of the saddest people in Scripture is the rich young ruler who when Jesus, he said, what, what, what do I need to do? Jesus said, "Give up, go sell everything and give it all to the poor and come follow me. It says he walked away sad because he had great wealth. If what you're seeking right now, my friends, if anything that you're seeking is keeping you from following the call of Jesus, okay, whether that be your reputation, whether that be your money, whether that be your future, then you're not living in the fullness of what God has for you. Because you are not made for this life. You are made for eternity. And the temporal longings of this life, the applause of men, the possessions of this world, global acclaim and fame, these things will not satisfy the eternal aching within your soul. Just having Jesus in my life and then having these other things, is it? It's it's Jesus plus something will lead you to nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's biblical mathematics. That's gospel arithmetic. Because you see, when all is said and done, this world doesn't need you to be the hero. To look at your life and say, you know what? Wow, man. She, she, she really knew how to do her makeup. Or, oh, man, that guy, he had, he had so many so many friends, such an influencer on social media. Or, oh, she, such a good dancer. I wish she had made more videos. No one's going to say that. It's not what our world needs. Because, you see, at the end of it all, they need something greater than you and greater than me, even greater than Joshua. Because if you read through the Old Testament, if you read through the New Testament, you'll see Genesis, the book of Genesis, ends in a funeral. It's Joseph. The book of Deuteronomy ends in a funeral. It's Moses. The book of Joshua ends in a funeral. It's Joshua. They're all buried. And then you get to, we need a better hero. Every one of our heroes dies. Every one of our heroes dies. The word Joshua means Yeshua, the Lord saves. We need a greater hero. And so when you come to the New Testament, there is another whose name was the New Testament equivalent of Joshua, Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus. Could he be the hero that our world desperately needs in this hour? Oh, but then you read Matthew, and then you read Mark, and then you read Luke, and then you read John, and he dies in all of those. There's a funeral in all of those too, buried But the Gospels are good news because the story doesn't end there. The Bible says, the Gospels say, as we sang earlier, they laid Jesus down in Joseph's tomb. He was dead. Understand this, guys. Jesus, the servant of God, was dead. He wasn't wasn't in a coma. He wasn't damaged. He wasn't pretty badly hurt. Jesus was dead. God, show your power now. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. <laughs> there he was, silent and all alone. But the good news of the Jesus story doesn't end like every other story. It says that on the third at break of dawn, the Son of heaven, he rose again. Oh, trampled death Where is your sting? The angels roar not for your name, not for the name of Joshua, not for the name of Moses, not for the name of Jesus. The angels roar for Christ our King. And so we praise the name of the Lord our God. He's the hero. He's the hero that every hero in Scripture points to. He's the greater Joseph who, in positions of power, forgave those who had done him wrong. He's the true Moses who became the Passover lamb to lead them out of slavery and into the land of the promise. He's the true Joshua, the Lord, saves, and he's the one. It's not us that our world needs to see in all the great things that we do, but the world sees the risen Jesus through His church and through the people of God who bear the name Of Christ. That's what our world needs to see. There's a crisis. Do you see it? People are turning away from God because they have not seen him. But in you, as you rise up to see, there's a need for Christian reconcilers of the gospel to bridge people together. There's a need for Christian theologians. There's a need for Christians to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's a need for Christian teachers, for Christian medical workers, for Christian, you name it, baristas, to rise up to show and to point people to the glory of Christ this is our moment in time. You were brought here for such a time as this. Don't waste this crisis. Don't waste this opportunity. He's with you. His promises are true. His presence goes with you. So be strong and be courageous as we enter into the next chapter of our history. Let's pray together. Take a moment to pray. What do you see, child of God? Moses, my servant, is dead. What do you see? Where do you see crisis? Where do you see opportunity? It is for such a time as this. You are here in this time, in this moment, in our church, in central Florida, in this state in our nation, in our world, for this moment in time? What is God showing you? What is he showing you? What is the void, what is the vacuum that God's calling you to step into? Would you do it? Would you be strong and courageous? Let's pray for half a minute right now, a minute, committing our hearts. Lord, help me to be who you want me to be. That would rise up in courageous faith to inspire others. Let's pray half a minute to a minute. Now pray for us after we do. Let's pray together. Of the living God, would you fall afresh in this place? Lord, would you give birth to new visions, to dreams in the hearts of your people? Visions of what their school could look like. As they give a speech about how Jesus has changed my life during this pandemic and how that courage will inspire the courage of other believers within their school. Lord, give vision for what our youth ministry could be. Lord, give vision for what our children's ministry could be. Give vision for what government could look like, public policy, give vision for people who have a heart to reform and revive, to renew and to restore and to uproot and to rejuvenate and to rebuild spheres in areas in our society that are broken, that have evicted and ejected you from it. Lord, release visions and dreams within this room so that we might rise up in selfless, honest, humble, God-clinging, desperate faith, the faith that is needed in this hour. Lord, would you call people to rise and to stand and surrender to the glory and the greatness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Lord, change us now. Change our hopes and our visions. Change our dreams and our longings. Change our vocabulary, that we would not talk about sacrifice and sacrifice when we talk about what we've given for you, but we would talk about joy and gladness when we talk about the glad response. To the gospel in our lives Lord would you indeed do a new thing as you pour new wine into new wine skins? may we be ready to move with you for this moment for your people for your church, for your kingdom for this time, for this hour we thank you so much, we love you because you've loved us first and you've given us a mission and a purpose may we seize that and embrace that for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray.